And if I had to pick it right now, tell me you got to pick your playoff teams. I got Michigan in the college football playoff as of right now, but one of the toughest road trips on the docket for the Wolverines is that week 11 trip to Happy Valley. Hello and welcome in. It's always college football. We have a terrific show coming to you right here in the middle of May. We're starting to look ahead, man. We got some things that we're starting to look at, some matchups we're starting to look at, and we thought because of schedule releases coming out of the NFL, we figured we'd put together a little bit of a road trip, a roadmap, if you will, week zero to week 13, one game each week that you absolutely have to take in. So, We want to make sure we get to that. We also have some great mailbag questions that we're going to get to. All right. A couple of really good ones, including one about head coaches in college football that are ultimately going to shape the next generation of the college football playoff and big, big recruiting news. All right. Big time. We know we don't talk a ton of recruiting here on Always College Football, but when one of the top players, if not the top player in the country, announces his college decision, yeah, that's worth noting, especially when it involves two blue blood programs, one that lost him and one that gained him. So we'll get to that as well. Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, Jake Garcia, I'm Greg McElroy. Let's not waste any time. It's our college football road trip coming up right here. Scheduling right now is all the rage when it comes to athletics. Doesn't matter if it's college football or the NFL. The NFL, in case you missed it or in case you haven't watched any programming in the last week or so, you'll realize that the NFL released their schedule last Thursday. And the amount of conversation centering around who's playing who in week one versus week 16. Oh, the Jets have an impossible start. Look at how manageable the Ravens schedule is early on. I can't believe that I actually turned on one show in particular and they were breaking down week one lines. That's right. Involving NFL teams saying, well, you know, the commanders lay in two and a half makes a lot of sense. Well, what? Yeah, you don't even know who the commander's quarterback's going to be at this point. Right? Yeah, we assume it's going to be Sam Howell, but it's far from a foregone conclusion. So we figured we'd at least try to apply some of the scheduling conversation that we've seen throughout the sports world and start to apply it a little bit to college football. However, in a way that only college football can, we figured we would kind of do a little bit of a road trip. Week zero all the way through the regular season, conference championship, what have you, and pick out some of our favorite games from each individual weekend. Now, the caveat is that you cannot visit the same place more than once. So those of you that are going to look at a a Notre Dame game, for instance, and you realize that we're not maybe going to Ohio State, Notre Dame, you might understand why in just a little bit. So just take it with a slight grain. This is for fun. And by the way, this... uh, This might be kind of a bucket list activity to me. I'm fortunate, and I know so many of you guys, we all take that pilgrimage to that place that we've never been to for a college game. I would love to go week to week to week to week to week. Well, I get to do this, but in my profession, you go for work. I'd love to go just to enjoy the atmosphere, to enjoy the environment, the pregame festivities, the postgame festivities, what have you. So I kind of did this. And I know Mark, who helped as well, and Jack also, who, by the way, isn't here today. 
Jack's playing golf. I don't know what he's thinking. It's the middle of May. I know we have a major championship coming up this weekend, but for whatever reason, he thinks it's not football season. It's okay. If you don't love the game, Jack, that's fine. Don't worry. We won't tell anybody. But we here in the middle of May, we want to discuss the ideal road trip for the 2023 season. One game a week, can't visit the same place twice, and tell you what game sticks out to us in that particular week. Should we give it a whirl? All right, let's start with week zero. Now, this one was pretty easy. <laughs> Last year, if you remember, it would have very obviously been Northwestern and Nebraska. That was probably the game of the weekend, on paper at least, for the interesting kind of storyline surrounding Scott Frost and can Northwestern bounce back after a disappointing season, all these other things. This year, it's pretty easy. It's Navy and Notre Dame. Rivalry game. It's going to be played in Dublin, Ireland. How can you not be excited about a game that's overseas? I still wonder... I know we've kind of had this discussion in the past. We'll have it again in the future as the Big 12 has starting to pursue opportunities being played in Mexico, all these other things. But I'm still trying to figure out what, what do you stand to gain from going and playing a game in Dublin, Ireland? I'm not sure. Are you recruiting over there? I don't, I don't know. But it makes sense when you are a service academy, Navy, and for instance, with so many expats over there across the pond, being able to go up. Maybe you served in the in the Navy. Maybe you served in the Army. You want to go support a service academy. And you get to do so against the Fighting Irish. Notre Dame being played in Ireland makes all the sense in the world. So week zero, no, Navy at Notre Dame. First look at Sam Hartman. For look, first look at the new offensive coordinator. First look at Marcus Freeman in year number two. That's pretty obvious one in week zero. Week one, a little bit trickier. But like most years... Week one is kind of jam-packed, full of intriguing non-conference games, games that are really difficult to decipher. However, this year, week one is really not great. Relatively speaking, now we've been a little spoiled. I mean, week one has been ridiculous. Week two, however, in recent years, hasn't been quite as good. And then week three follows the, kind of the same trend. Those games in weeks two and three... Not quite as good, but everyone wants to start their season with a bang in week one. But it seems like we're starting to spread the love a little bit throughout the first month of the season, which I'm okay with, but it does water down week one just a little bit. Now, I'm still going to be excited. I don't care if you played, you know, a Division Three Mountain Union against Ohio State. Week one, I don't care if the game's 100 to nothing. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just so happy to have football back and the first full Saturday of jam-packed action will always raise my blood pressure level. But week one this year, Saturday, a little bit of a dud. It's a little bit of a dud. South Carolina and North Carolina is kind of the top dog on Saturday. On Friday, you got Louisville and Georgia Tech. A couple of new head coaches, a couple of things to potentially look forward to. Obviously, Georgia Tech interim situation that was removed, so not quite new, but new nonetheless. And then Thursday is not bad as you get uh, Matt Rule's debut at Nebraska. They're going to be traveling to Minnesota and then Florida, Utah as well. Another very intriguing game there on Thursday. But of all the games in week one, there's one that stands out, and it's on Sunday, man. You got two teams that are potentially going to be in the top 10 in the preseason. If I were to put my top 10 together, it's a no doubt or both LSU and Florida State would be in the mix. 
That game being played in Orlando, neutral site, it's a little bit of a pseudo home game for Florida State after they traveled to New Orleans to take on LSU last year in Brian Kelly's debut. Now, Brian Kelly, their team is loaded, loaded. They bring so many great pieces back, get a couple of guys back from injury last year. LSU is primed to contend not just for the SEC West title, but for the SEC championship, and potentially you win that you naturally have a chance to win the national championship as well. And the answer after last year, is Florida State back? The answer is resounding yes, coming into 2023. Return your quarterback, return a ton of playmakers, great staff continuity. The defense has added several portal players to kind of plug and play at positions where they can excel. Jared Verse comes back, a dynamic edge rusher, a great run game with Trey Benson. Excellent, excellent supporting cast surrounding the quarterback, Jordan Travis, who is probably in the preseason going to be on the short list as far as the Heisman watch list, if you will. So number one game of week one, LSU Florida State. And to be honest with you, I really don't think it's very close. Let's go to week two. This one, very intriguing as well. Very clear. Week two is pretty good. A&M in Miami, very intriguing. Nebraska and Colorado, what does Prime do? in a big game against Nebraska, a game in which these two teams back in the Big 12 days used to play a lot of games against each other. Oregon and Texas Tech, there's some intrigue there. I like Texas Tech, top 25 team. For me, coming into the season, Oregon, new OC, but same same great supporting cast. They've added some great portal players. Oregon's going to be a team that's ranked in the top 12, top 15 in the preseason at the very worst. Traveling to Lubbock, it should be interesting nonetheless. And then, of course, the Cyhawk Trophy, Iowa, Iowa State, However, neither team really does a whole lot for me heading into the preseason. I think Iowa will be better. I think Iowa State will be better. But will they be enough to overcome the game that we chose? Probably not. You got Texas heading to Tuscaloosa, a future SEC matchup. Alabama hosting the Longhorns doesn't get a whole lot better than that. That game last year obviously came down to the wire. That was in Austin. That felt, at least at that point, like Texas had kind of overachieved. They were clearly ahead of schedule based on how they performed in that game by itself. Now the wheels came off there. Quinn Ewers got a little banged up, didn't play great down the stretch. But you look at the supporting cast and you look at the weapons surrounding what should be a more confident Quinn Ewers, Texas might be poised to make a legitimate run. I think they're probably, based on paper, the best roster in the Big 12. And according to Urban Meyer, I don't know if you saw this, Urban Meyer thinks that Texas has the best roster in the country. Now, I wouldn't go that far. Still have a few question marks in the front seven defensively and along the offensive line of scrimmage. But either way, Alabama is going to be breaking in a new quarterback, whether that's Buckner, whether that's Simpson, whether that's Milrow, anybody's guess as to who it's going to be, should be a really good, talented team naturally. But hosting the Longhorns in their first big test of the season, will be must-watch television. Week two, very clear. Texas at Alabama. We'll head to Tuscaloosa for that. Week three is a little bit more difficult. You have some interesting ones and one that just barely missed the pick for us. Just barely missed it. Very, very close. Backyard brawl, Pitt and West Virginia. That game last year, Thursday night, season opener, week one, Matt Barry alongside Lewis Riddick on the call. It was awesome. Just an incredible game. So dramatic. So, so dramatic. And you could just feel the vitriol there 
in what was formerly known as Heinz Field. I don't recall what the name of it is now. I'm blanking, but either way, you could feel the vitriol. Now to have that thing returned in Morgantown should be pretty phenomenal. South Carolina, Georgia, also a game in which there's no love lost whatsoever. But the fact that that game's in Athens makes me think South Carolina is going to have a difficult time being super, super, super competitive in that game. But TCU at Houston is the direction that we're going to go. Why? Because Houston's in the Big 12 for the first time. It, is it a bit of a stretch? Perhaps TCU at this point likely will be undefeated. It's only week three, so they shouldn't necessarily raise a banner for that. But Houston, Dana Holgerson's got his work cut out for him. And if you look at their regular season win-loss totals, what Vegas is expecting from Houston, they're not expecting a whole lot as they transition into the Big 12. You look at the roster turnover, man, in the Big 12 of the newcomers, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF, nobody has had more roster turnover than the Houston Cougars. Now they get to host the national championship runner-up from the year before. Could be a tall order, but either way, man, TDECU is going to be on fire for the first Big 12 game in Houston's history. Let's go to week four, where there's a lot of really interesting games, man. This is where things start to get a little bit ramped up. And remember, we can't go to another stadium. We can't go and see a team in the home venue yet again. And remember, week zero, we chose Navy at Notre Dame. I know it's in Dublin, but that is technically a Notre Dame home game. So week four eliminates Ohio State at Notre Dame. I wish that that game was still available. If you look at the slim pickings that is week zero, you'll understand why we kind of had to go in this direction because we have a really nice consolation matchup that might ultimately decide the ACC championship game. And that's where we'll head. We'll head to Clemson, South Carolina to watch Florida State and Clemson. We've already talked about what Florida State might be this year. What we haven't talked about is what Clemson might be. Clay Klubnick back in the mix as the starting quarterback. Garrett Riley, formerly of TCU, new OC, bringing in new life, bringing in new energy, new tempo, all these other things to the Clemson Tiger offense. We know they're going to be good on defense. They've been good on defense for a while now. But the offensive firepower for Clemson has not been where it needs to be. And I'm hopeful, I think we all are, as fans of college football, that maybe Clemson can bounce back. Just start to look a little bit like they did back in 2019, 2018, times of 2020. But either way, that offense has not been the same these last couple of years. Maybe they can get back on track. And they're going to need it against a team in Florida State that has probably had this one circled for the better part of a calendar year. So Florida State at Clemson's where we're heading week four. Remember, Ohio State at Notre Dame is eliminated from the discussion. Let's go to week five. Few interesting opportunities here. Really am dying. It's a bucket list activity. I've never been to Lincoln for a football game. Not going to go here but thought about it. Michigan at Nebraska was on the short list. South Carolina at Tennessee. Remember a revenge game here. South Carolina beat Tennessee and essentially eliminated them from college football playoff contention last year. This is an opportunity for Tennessee to get back. So that would be one that I'd be very excited about as well. However, I'm going to take Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels hosting the LSU Tigers. We already saw LSU a couple weeks ago in week one against Florida State. Will they be unblemished at this point, or will they have a loss to be determined? Either way, this is a rivalry game. More so for one than the other. I feel like Ole Miss ramps their level of play way up 
when they get to host the Bayou Bengals. We know that this is going to be one of the best tailgating environments that we've ever seen before. When LSU goes to Oxford, man, two worlds collide. That's for sure. So it should be an awesome matchup. And you look, too, at what Ole Miss did this offseason. We already documented a little bit of where LSU is. But you'd look at Ole Miss. They went to the portal again. Spencer Sanders has now arrived. Jackson Dart, as a result, has improved significantly. You still have Quinshaw and Judkins. You still have excellent personnel at wide receiver. And then Pete Golding, the new defensive coordinator, will he be able to address some of the problems and the concerns that Ole Miss has dealt with defensively for quite a while? That's a very interesting storyline to look at. And this is one of the tougher games for LSU on the schedule. If they ultimately want to win the SEC West, a win in Oxford, would go a long way in helping their candidacy. Let's go to week number six. A couple tough ones here. Alabama at Texas A&M was on the short list. We know that there's no love lost in this game. Alabama lost to Texas A&M two years ago. Last year, it came down to the wire. And I happen to believe, even though there's a lot of people that are very much mixed on where the Aggies might ultimately end up, I think the Aggies bounce back this year. Last year was an anomaly. They were extremely young. They had some injury issues. I think they bounced back and they bounced back in a big way here in 2023. This will be one of, if not the toughest road environments for Alabama. It will certainly be in the mix. However, I'm actually going to go just slightly to the north because I think Oklahoma also bounces back in a big way. And we've already documented what we think about the Texas Longhorns. It's the Red River rivalry, shootout, showdown, whatever you want to call it. That game, to me, is must-see entertainment. In week six, if you think I'm going anywhere other than the Cotton Bowl there in Dallas in the midst of the State Fair, you're lying to yourself, man. That'll be an incredible setup. And you look at both teams' resumes up to that point. Oklahoma will be in prime position. Roster and resume should look pretty good at that point. Texas, if they can shock the world and beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, they're likely to be undefeated at this point. This very much could be involving two teams that at this point are ranked in the top 12, top 15 at the very worst. So it'll be very interesting to see this matchup, and it could be the first of two matchups we get from Oklahoma and Texas there in the Big 12 because I think both teams, both rosters are significantly improved. I think both teams have a real chance to get to the Big 12 championship at season's end. So I love week six going to the Cotton Bowl. I love being in that venue, that split 50-50 with the hatred and animosity on both sides of the 50. It's a great scene and it's a great spot. It's definitely going to be a must-see during our college football road trip. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. 
At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, heading to week seven, and this will be our trip to Notre Dame. I had the opportunity a little earlier in the season to maybe visit South Bend, Indiana, but this is really the only chance that we'll get to see the USC Trojans. So we want to see Caleb Williams. We want to see this matchup. So I look at this game, and it was actually a tough call because I think the game between Oregon and Washington, also in Week 7, a terrific matchup that might very well position one of those two teams with the inside track. It could be an eliminator game, if you will. The Pac-12 is so dang deep this year, so dang difficult, so many landmines, and there might be so much carnage by the end of it. Pac-12 championships involving two teams with multiple losses. But either way, if you look at SC... I think SC is the class of the Pac-12, but I think Washington's a very, very, very close second. Utah's in the mix. And then, of course, Oregon also in the mix. So it'll be very interesting to see how this whole thing plays out. But in week seven, I feel like I have to go to South Bend for Caleb Williams' trip to play against Marcus Freeman. This was his Heisman moment a year ago. Will it materialize again here in 2023? Week eight, we're going to take a trip to the shoe. Penn State at Ohio State. Now, I do think this is probably, with the exception of the game coming up in just a little bit, we're going to talk about, it's probably the toughest game on Ohio State's schedule. I love Penn State this year. Are the things that need to be addressed? For sure. Do I have the you know some slim question marks about Aller's ability to be mobile? Are there question marks about their ability to maybe be good and great along the offensive line? There's some question marks, sure. Yeah, there's a few things here and there. But Ohio State also has some question marks. Quarterback's a little bit of a question mark, at least at this point. I think you look at the offensive line. That might be the biggest question mark. All three levels defensively should be pretty good. Feel decent about it. Might have a couple things that you need to find and figure out on the perimeter. But either way, Ohio State's got just about everything you could want to make a run. It's just, I think Penn State does too. Assuming Aller is who everyone says he is, Penn State could very well challenge the Ohio State Buckeyes in the shoe. So that's one that we absolutely cannot miss. The other one that was in consideration here, but it's eliminated from earlier because Texas played at Alabama. Tennessee at Alabama, also week eight, third Saturday in October. Should be an awesome opportunity for Alabama to seek revenge. And you know, Tennessee is going to be so fired up. They played well in Tuscaloosa a couple of years ago. You're going to look at the final score and say, really, that was well? Look at what the final score was, or look at what the score was at the end of the third quarter. And yes, fourth quarter got completely sideways, but it was a three-quarter competitive game there for a little bit for a team that really at that point wasn't great. Tennessee had their fair share of issues on defense in 2021. Let's see if they've addressed some of those heading in to 2023. Let's go to week number nine. We finally make a trip out west, Oregon at Utah. Now, we looked at Utah a little earlier. Florida at Utah in week one was one that might have been in consideration. Not quite as good as LSU Florida State, but either way, Oregon, who we really, like we've talked about already, feel pretty good about. Talked a little bit loosely about Utah when describing what we might look at a couple weeks ago. But Utah, quarterback's back. Just get a nice addition to transfer portal and Micah Pittman. You already got Brant Keithy. Very, very good. Jaquindon Jackson is supposed to be the real deal at running back. Offensive line should be really good. All three levels defensively, they're always good. Why would they not be this year? So Utah, probably the toughest road trip, arguably, of the year 
for Oregon. We know it's tough to go to Salt Lake, that's for sure. But that should be one heck of a matchup there in Week 9. Others in consideration for Week 9, Georgia, Florida. I don't love Florida this year, so I don't think that game's going to be super competitive. Then Ohio State at Wisconsin. Yeah, I'd love to go see jump around. But at this point, early in the Luke Fickle era, are they ready right now to compete against Luke Fickle's alma mater and a team that he obviously knows incredibly well? That will be an interesting game, but this one's very clear. Oregon at Utah in Week 9 is the destination. Week 10, this one might surprise you. There's a few options here that we could have picked. Could have picked LSU at Alabama. We've already been to Tuscaloosa. Could have picked Notre Dame at Clemson. We've already picked Clemson. So what we haven't picked is Stillwater, Oklahoma. We're going to Oklahoma at Oklahoma State in Week 10. Why? It's the last game of Bedlam. Oklahoma's en route to the SEC. Oklahoma State's really ticked off about it. If you don't think that game's going to be as chaotic and as difficult of a road environment as Oklahoma will face all year, I think you're crazy. This game is going to be absolutely bonkers. And we know Mike Gundy has not had great success over the course of what's been an incredible career, has not had great success against the Sooners. Can he send them out in the last Battle of Bedlam for a while? I know it's going to come back at some point. They say never again. I think it'll come back at some point. A&M fans and Texas fans said never again to their rivalry. That'll be renewed here in a couple years. So Oklahoma heading to Stillwater, place where there's absolutely no love lost for you. That game's going to be must-see entertainment there in week number 10. Week 11, Penn State is the destination. Michigan at Penn State. We've already talked a little bit about what Penn State might ultimately be, but we haven't talked about Michigan. Michigan, to me, is a top three team in the country on paper heading in to the upcoming season. They have their quarterback. They have an excellent tandem of running backs. Yes, they lost a couple pieces along the offensive line, but they might have replenished by way of the transfer portal. They have great twitch on the perimeter defensively that can get after the quarterback and that will hold up against the run on the inside. And I think when you look at the weapons that Michigan has, that's been the question mark in the past. What do their weapons look like beyond that of the run game? I like their weapons. I like their wideouts. And I like the opportunities that they have on the outside to create big plays off play action. I expect J.J. McCarthy to take a significant step this year. And if I had to pick it right now, you tell me you got to pick your playoff teams. I got Michigan in the college football playoff as of right now, but one of the toughest road trips on the docket for the Wolverines is that week 11 trip to Happy Valley. Utah, Washington, also very compelling in week 11. Ole Miss at Georgia, somewhat compelling. I think Georgia might have a little bit more of a difficult time going to Ole Miss, but either way, between the hedges, I'm not sure that one will be super competitive all the way down the stretch unless Lane Kiffin pulls out a couple of the tricks that I don't anticipate at this moment. Week 12 is a little dry. Not a ton going on with Week 12, if I'm going to be honest with you. A couple games that are pretty good, that are intriguing, but it's that lettuce week where you have great games that sandwich it, but in the middle, it's just kind of uh, not bad. But we do get a decently compelling game in the SEC East. Georgia will go to Tennessee. Last year, the game was not competitive. Yes, I know you look at the final score. Yeah, the margin was not that significant. My goodness, anyone that watched it, it felt like a whole heck of a lot more than what the final score would indicate. Now Tennessee gets an opportunity to show, hey, we are without question at this moment. We're maybe not quite where Georgia is, but we're trending. This is their opportunity. 
This is a massive game for the Tennessee Volunteers. If they get blown out in their own backyard, the only furthers the narrative that there's a massive gap between Georgia and everybody else in the SEC East, that would be a difficult one to overcome. They have to at least be competitive, and if they can somehow pull off a shocker of an upset in Georgia's most difficult game of the year, that's right, I said it. I think this is the toughest game on the schedule for the Georgia Bulldogs. It's the end of the year. You're looking at some of the other games on the schedule for the Dogs. They're pretty dang favorable. A road trip to Neyland there at the very end, assuming Tennessee is going to be as good as I think they're going to be. This one should be worth a watch. Certainly, if we're going on a college football road trip, should be worth a visit. Let's go to our other game that we considered there in Week 12, Nebraska at Wisconsin. Ah, ah. Maybe Matt Rule waves the magic wand. I just like two new head coaches here. Luke Fickle against Matt Rule, two of my favorite hires of the offseason. I'd love to see each one of these teams, but it doesn't quite take the cake the way Georgia traveling to Tennessee will do. And then week 13 shouldn't require a whole lot of explanation, guys. Come on. You know where we're going here. Ohio State at Michigan. Ohio State lost two in a row to the Wolverines. Now they have to head to their house. Remember just how shocked everybody was. We picked Michigan two years ago, but everyone was shocked when the Wolverines ultimately knocked off the Buckeyes there two years ago. We weren't surprised, but most of the college football world was. However, we were a little bit surprised last year. We took Michigan last year, but we didn't feel great about it. We did not feel great about it whatsoever. Well, they proved that 2021 wasn't a fluke. They, at that point, were the more physical team. They controlled the line of scrimmage, and in the second half, they were able to create some big plays after a little bit of a slow start. And Ohio State just couldn't get into rhythm at any point defensively or offensively there in the second half. So week 13, pretty obvious and shouldn't require much of an explanation. Ohio State in the big house there for what might be the Big Ten Championship. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. As always, we try to get into our mailbag. Hit us up, alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. We have so appreciated all the questions that you've submitted already, and we know that we're trying to get to them. If you sent it a while ago, it might not have been applicable to what we were talking about that day, but we have it stored, and we will get to it at a future episode. I can assure you of that. You can also submit questions, always CFB on Instagram and on Twitter. So, Coobs, where are we going today? All right, first question comes from Tavi in Mississippi. Coach Saban, Smart, and Sweeney define the early parts of the CFP era. What other three coaches could play a major role in the next five to ten years, rather it be where they are now or potentially at another school? I think it's a great question. Let's start with the first one. It feels somewhat obvious. I I don't like I don't I just don't like you know I really don't like taking the obvious ones. I would love to be an outside-the-box thinker, but you can't force it, man. I mean, you just have to acknowledge what's going on. The first one's Brian Kelly at LSU. Now, Brian Kelly, we know already that he's been to the playoff, and we know that his experiences in the playoff have not been very good. 
They've been on the losing end of multiple battles. And it's most of the time hasn't been crazy competitive either. But either way, man, now he is at a place where each of the last three head coaches have won national championships and the roster that he's going to be able to assemble at LSU is off the charts good. You look at how they overachieved last year. Last year's roster, you want to look, go back, look at LSU 2022 roster. You're going to say it's it's pretty pretty good. I mean, it's not, but still LSU. But if you look at it, they weren't great in the secondary. That's a position where they've, for the most part, been dominant over the course of time. They weren't great at running back. They had some injuries at that position. That's been a position where they've been dominant most of the time in the last two decades, if you will. They had two freshman offensive tackles, two true freshman offensive tackles playing in the SEC. I'd say that they overachieved at that position. You had a superstar wide receiver coming into the year in Kayshawn Booty who ended up doing absolutely nothing for most of the year. Now you have clearly found a couple of guys in Kyron Lacey and Malik Neighbors that might be the best one-two punch in the SEC. You have a quarterback that's returning, and you feel good about the personnel behind that guy because Doug Nussmeyer's son is going to be the guy of inevitably. When is Garrett Nussmeyer ultimately going to be the guy? I don't know, but he's next in line. He's already shown that he can play because he pushed Jaden Daniels all the way to the end. Last year. So offense is set. You lost your best defensive player on the fifth defensive snap of the year last year. So, and they're already recruiting really good players in the portal to come play secondary at a place that has always considered themselves to be DBU. So you're in a pretty good spot. That's to say the least. Brian Kelly is number one. Number two, Mike Norvell at Florida State. Now it took a while. Florida State, for those of us, you, me, anyone that grew up with Florida State in the 90s and the 2000s and even the early teens know that what we saw from the Seminoles the last five or six years is unrecognizable. I mean, completely and utterly unrecognizable. To the point in which you you watched them and was like, man, I can't believe, will they ever get back? And there was a point where I think all of us probably asked the question, will they ever get back? And I I really, at this point, I never felt stronger about their candidacy at any point in the Mike Norvell era than I do right now. Now, last year was a prove-it year. But they started a lot of young guys early. They took some growing pains. They took some lumps. And then they went and did a great job in the portal last year, attracted a bunch of guys via the portal, Jared Verse, Johnny Wilson, a bunch of other guys that transferred in, as Trey Benson, a transfer from Oregon, all these guys that transferred in, and now look at the success they're having. And so what can you say? Hey, look at all the guys that that excelled last year through the portal. You can be next. Come on down and look at their portal recruiting yet again. So Mike Norvell would be coach number two. I really don't feel maybe I'm maybe I'm too close to it. I don't feel like I've gone out on on much of a limb <laughs> right there, really at all. And then number three is Lincoln Riley. And he's already been a factor in the college football playoff in the past. Like we've seen this. But I find USC's program 
to be more intriguing, more interesting today than they've been at any point since 2008. That was the last year of the Pete Carroll era. And I know, look, they had a couple of years where they were super successful there in the mid-2010s. I think they started the year at number one or two or in that vicinity. They were really good. And they've had moments, the Sam Darnold year where they won the Rose Bowl. Like They've done some good things. They've been relevant. But the commitment to college football that was made when they brought Lincoln Riley to USC from Oklahoma to me showcased that USC is tired of being an afterthought. Then they decided just a couple months later, hey, we're going to go play in the Big Ten. And I'm really curious. I'm really curious because there's one thing that I know about the Big Ten. The Big Ten is a lunch pail conference. You are going to have to bring the physical football every single week. And that has been a little bit of a question mark when it comes to Lincoln Riley coach teams. Now, is that fair? Probably not. It's a little bit low-hanging fruit for sure, but there is a legitimate question with that. And what was his best attribute at Oklahoma? Quarterback development. Well, did it with Kyler, did it with Baker, did it already with Caleb Williams. So the next man up, it's probably going to be a top flight guy, probably going to be in the Heisman mix. The guy after that, probably going to be in the Heisman mix. I would expect that train to keep on churning. So those are the three coaches right now that I'm most intrigued by that haven't broken through yet just yet, that haven't defined the college football playoff era as we know it, but they feel really close to being able to maybe bring one home or to punch their ticket to the college football playoff. It's been a long time coming for several programs. Florida State, LSU, of course, won one just a couple of years ago, but SC hasn't even sniffed the playoff in a really long time. So I think when you look at it, man, those are the three coaches I got my clo- my eye closest on as to break through here and maybe define the next generation of the college football playoff. All right, next question comes from Tim in Oregon. What are your thoughts on DJU's comments about Clemson's offense the past few years? DJ kind of became the scapegoat for Clemson's step back, but people forget that he had two new coordinators without great receivers. Valid comments? Very, very valid. And I I don't think you ever need to be in a position where you're taking shots or, or it makes it or gives off the impression that there's bad blood like that. You're never going to win there because you could also look at it and say, well, man, there were plenty of open receivers and DJ missed them. I mean, you watch the tape, watch the tape of DJ Uwe Ungalale in 2020, the two starts that he made in 2020, and then watch the tape from 2021. And then not all of 2022, but most of 2022, the play was erratic in 2021 and 2022. Now, there were some good moments. For instance, his performance against Wake Forest was really admirable. The other thing I'd say too, is that I feel like you have to put a lot on the shoulders of the Clemson quarterback running the offense that they ran the last couple of years. Well, why wouldn't you look at the quarterbacks that you've had? I mean, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence back-to-back, not many people have that. <laughs> All right. Not many people in the history of the sport have had back to back quarterbacks that were that good. Probably count on one hand 
How many programs have had anything quite like that, even close to that? There's probably not many. But when you think about what they've had at receiver, now these last couple years, look, I'm, I'm optimistic about what Antonio Williams is going to be, but he was a true freshman last year. And tell me, think about the years, say, you know, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. All right, would any of the players that were on the roster in the last couple of years have been better than Sammy Watkins? Would any of the players that were on the roster the last couple of years been better than Mike Williams? What about DeAndre Hopkins? What about T. Higgins? What about Artavis Scott? What about Hunter Renfro? I mean, you think about some of the guys that came through the program in the last handful of years and how super elite they were at wide receiver. Well, like I said, I love Antonio Williams. I'm very excited about his future. But he was kind of the only guy, and it was just last year. Whereas every time Deshaun Watson stepped on the field, every time Trevor Lawrence stepped on the field, every time you know any of the Clemson quarterbacks in the last decade stepped on the field, they had at least one, two, maybe three dynamic difference-making wide receivers. DJ Uyunglele never had that luxury. Not to mention a super elite running back, Travis Etienne, just a couple of years ago, who was also terrific catching the ball out of the backfield. So I think that some of the things that were said by DJ Ewing on Glay were somewhat fair. The supporting cast wasn't what it necessarily was in the past. But also at the same time, like he left plays on the field. So if I were him, I would move on. You have a fresh start. Don't worry about what happened to Clemson. You have a fresh start at Oregon State where you can work and focus and hone in on your craft. Do you have aspirations of winning a national championship? For sure. But they're not going to be shouldered on your shoulders. Why? Because Oregon State is a team that wants to pound the football. Remember, this is a team that erased a, what, three or four touchdown deficit by running the ball 14 consecutive offensive plays. Something like that. I don't recall exactly what the numbers were, but I'm pretty sure at one point last year, they were down four touchdowns and ran the ball every single snap the rest of the way and came back and won. So you don't have to be the hero at Oregon State. You just have to be the guy that distributes the football and makes great decisions, which should be a great position for DJ Uwe Ungalale to regain who he was just a few years ago when everybody thought he was the Heisman frontrunner coming into the season in 21. Well, the rich have officially gotten richer as the number one player in the 2024 recruiting class has officially chosen the Georgia Bulldogs. And it's, of course, at a position of significant interest. Dylan Rayola, formerly committed to Ohio State and was very much connected to both Nebraska and USC on the recruiting trail, has chosen the Bulldogs. Now, why is this significant? Well, Dominic Rayola, that's Dylan's father, was an All-American offensive lineman at Nebraska, and he played for the Detroit Lions. His uncle, Donovan, is currently the offensive line coach for Nebraska. So when you think about this, he decided to spurn where his dad went and where his uncle coaches in favor of playing his college football in Athens. Now, this is interesting because right now, George's class ranks 
number one. They had briefly dropped to number two. They had a decommitment. Went to Landon Thomas, who ultimately flipped to Florida State. He's a five-star tight end. So they dropped down just a little bit. But this is the second quarterback in the class joining Ryan Pugliese from Connecticut. Very, very interesting. Now, he hails from Chandler, Arizona. Really good football played out there. But this is massive. Even for a program, when you think about where George has been, it's a program that has so many different five-star guys. And think about quarterbacks, too. I mean, from Jacob Eason, Justin Fields, Brock Vandegrift, all those guys have signed at Georgia since Kirby Smart arrived. But this is really, really significant because it felt like, at least for the moment, that Georgia was losing a couple key pieces. I already referenced Thomas's flip to Florida State. They lost Bear Alexander, who was a young player that was likely to become a contributor this season. And people are starting to wonder, hey, where's this going? You know, Mike Bobo's coming in. Just there were some question marks about all of that. Well, Dylan Riola clearly affirmed that this is significant, that this is still a destination. And I would imagine now as the top quarterbacks made his decision, other players will flock to play with Rayola here in the future. This is also significant for Nebraska too. I mean, Matt Rule, and you guys know, man, I've been bullish on Nebraska. Very excited about the hire. Believe in the future of the Nebraska program. But man, you have a guy on the hook. Been to Lincoln multiple times. Went in February, went in March. Canceled a trip for the spring game. So we're talking about a guy that was on the cusp of having gone to Lincoln three different times. And then it just let him get away a little bit you had him there, man. So this one has to hurt, especially for Nebraska fans, even considering the fact that he would likely be a day one starter in the event in which Jeff Sims goes after this upcoming season to the NFL. So very interesting thing to follow. Great get for Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs and a huge hit, huge hit for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. You got an inside track on a kid with that kind of potential and you miss him. Has to be very disappointing, but hey, this is May. There's seven months before he has to sign his name on the dotted line. So hang in there, Nebraska fans. Maybe they'll keep at it, and ultimately he'll have a change of heart at some point here in the near future. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. We really appreciate you being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We look forward to continuing to interact with you. Always College Football at gmail.com. You can hit us up on our social media, Always CFB, on both Instagram and on Twitter. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jake Garcia, for Jack Foster, who joined the show late, even though we didn't want to interfere with this golf game, and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have an incredible day, and remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.